Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Grow With Tim podcast, part two, growing your team. Here we go. We are back in our new studio space as well for those of you who might be on the vodcast ever and looking at us. But this is Jay Do and Tim at the Grow With Tim podcast here. Tim, recap us into our new episode. Where did we leave off and what were we talking about last time? Yeah, so last time we had a great conversation about growing your team, right? And we talked about a bunch of stuff. We told some interesting stories, including a surprising one about my creative director and how he like completely upended everything I thought about hiring, right? But we started out talking about um, really how both of us got started in hiring and some of the things we did right, some of the things we did wrong. But the first big leveling up for me was that I needed to hire for outcomes, not for activities. Yep. Right? So yep. I won't re- rehash all that. You can go back and listen to it. But basically, instead of it being Tim Joyner and Associates, where I had a bunch of people around me that knew how to do stuff, but I had to manage them and tell them what to do, I started hiring for responsibility, where I could say, this is the outcome I want. And they would figure out how to do it. They'd take ownership of it and get things across the finish line. And that was a, a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. So that was number one. Okay. Number two, um, in interviewing, I learned about how to ask not what would you do, but what have you done, right? So all these behavioral interview questions like describe a time when something, because it's much harder for people to make stuff up. It's harder for people to mislead you and just sort of impress you, but without actually having a track record. So that was a, another leveling up for me in being able to sift out some of the people that interview really well, but then were complete duds, right? All right, so that was number two. Number three was, I, this was connected to that story I told you about, you've really got to sell your job opportunities. Yeah, love and, that. And previously, I just sort of would put out a job <clears throat> description, right? And like, if you build it, they will come. If you post the job, people will apply and you can hire. And and the world has changed and people don't need us employers anymore. Right, right. And so you've, you've really got to think of it as, a sales opportunity to compel them. This is why this opportunity is awesome. And don't just sell, you know, a phantom opportunity, actually make it a place that people want to come and work. Right. So that was number three. And then number four is don't take alignment for granted, right? Alignment doesn't just happen. And so to get a whole company of people that are all pulling in the same direction, pursuing the same goals that understand how their daily activities at the lowest levels of the organization, how their activities actually impact where the company is going, that's that's um, not automatic. But it is relatively easy if if you publish your corporate objectives. You say, these are the three things that we're trying to accomplish this year, and this department is going to work on this, and this department is going to work on this, and here's how we're going to measure it, and you report back progress. Hey, our goal is here, and we gained 10% on that goal this week. Um, so we talked about alignment. So that's kind of a real quick recap to get us yep. back into the into the flow. All right, very good. So as you recall, Tim, I had a little interview that I had to pursue that afternoon. That's right. So I used some of your tricks, and I'll be honest, um, I probably forgot most of them and kind of That's why you got to go back and listen again, right? Right, right. So I do need, and that's why we have to rehearse and grow. Growing growing takes time. It takes work, it takes effort, and things like that. But it was a good enough candidate for an entry-level internship type position that I felt that the person did well enough at describing who they were, behavioral tones, and one or two things. I did remember to say, hey, really, what I'm looking for are XYZ outcome, and I'm not sure if you know how to get there. And being that this person is still in school and at a, 
internship type yep. zone not a lot of experience in yep. these areas but this is where their interests lie so yep. i said that's going to be good enough i am overwhelmed with work so yeah, right so here's so the you problem made the offer you hired I, oh yes I, have they started yet they have started it's okay. mostly remote work at this point okay. and uh several things in the social media and content creation space okay cool so I figured if a 21-year-old can't handle that type of work remotely, then you definitely have the wrong people and you'd have to fire, which I believe moves us into our first kind of new topic for today. You got it. How do you deal with it? What, how, how do you deal with a person you feel like you need to let go? Fire is a strong term in, these, in yeah. the, this world. Um, there are certain laws and statutes governing how it goes about that. But I have one or two stories, and I'm sure yeah. you have had a few folks that you'd had to let go of i have mm -hmm. i have firing is my least favorite thing to do mm -hmm. i hate firing i can tell you because it's seared into my memory i can tell you every person i've ever fired exactly where i was and what <laughs> like I, I because it's like those memorable well you events. gave us a story about somebody that you had to let go before yeah. and you said it was such a relief everyone else knew it was a relief yeah. that was the right move for the company at the time and for yourself yeah but you're still dealing with it you need therapy too. yeah right <laughs> that's, that's, that's right yeah no i I have every time I've let somebody go, it's been such a release release of energy and creativity and like I, for me and the whole team, the whole remaining team, right? It's all I've always thought, man, I should have done this a lot sooner, right? Always. So I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to get better. Somebody has said, "Hire slow, fire fast," yes, right? right? And I kind of have to amend that because in today's market with really low unemployment, depending on what you're hiring for you might have to hire fast and hire slow because if you don't hire fast, somebody else will. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've had, I've probably hired, I don't know, 10 people in the last few months. Okay. And I've probably made, I don't even know how many offers where like, Oh, I, I way take more a few offers days. than the people that you, yeah, yeah because yeah, yeah. I take a few days and I like call them to make the offer and they're like, Oh yeah, I already took something else. Yeah. Like, okay. I got to speed this train up wow. because I'm not, I'm not hiring fast enough. So anyway, it, 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 there was a time when you could hire slow and really, really do your due diligence yeah, and right, think right. I've, I've started to get a little faster on that. But I do think that firing fast, once you identify that somebody is not a right fit for the team, either because of an issue of character or integrity or lack of skill or lack of responsibility, they're not getting the kind of outcomes you want. Um, it's not really even, con I used to think, well, I don't want to be mean to them. I don't want to fire them like they got. But I, I've decided that if somebody is not performing it's not kind to them to continue stringing right. along. Yeah, right. Like it seems kind in the short term because yes, they're getting a paycheck, but actually can you imagine what it'd be like to go to work every day knowing that you're not performing well, right, right. nobody's happy with your performance and you're like, is today the day that I'm going to get fired? Just and get it and sometimes with. there are people who are, they're being limited because they're given this opportunity, they take it without understanding their skills or where they fit in. Right. Uh, being in the position that I was in coming out of college a year and a half and hiring people, I think a lot of people in the environment that I was in, sports entertainment, thought it was the right place to be, and they fit so much better somewhere else. Yeah. But that's what I'm stealing from them if I keep them around. That's right. Like, you would actually perform better. You'd feel better. They just thought, man, this must be the right place because I was offered it, and I used to come here and watch the games, right. but now I'm part of the game. And they thrived in other environments. Right. So we have to give them that opportunity. I can tell you a lot of those people that I fired that I really struggled with, I didn't want to, they are all in better places. Yeah, like exactly. I, some of them I'm right. still friends with. Yeah. And I know they're, they're happier. They're making more money. Right. Like in, and so when you do it, right, don't just be a jerk and like, you're gone, like help them get right. them outplacement coaching or resume consulting or whatever, like give them severance, give them some time 
give them dignity, right? There's a right way to do it. But but don't just drag them along in a dead-end job that eventually we all know is going to end in failure. Right. right. Cut them loose and let them go find what they're supposed to be. I've heard several um, podcasters as well as thought leaders on social media say things like, I think Gary Vee says it, if someone comes to him and his organizations and wants to move on or doesn't think it's the right fit, he'll pay them yep. to move on. Yep. Because he said, well, now that they know they shouldn't be here, we can't keep them along. They're going to mess things up. They have yeah. the potentially, There's it's, it's easier to sit in that candy bar out in front of that kid you wouldn't do it because it's tempting, right? It's tempting for them to not take responsibility now. They don't. They know they don't want to be there, yep. or they know they're looking at other things. It's tempting for them to lose that character and things like that, and obviously just not be performing at the level yep. that they even know. So it's a very, it's a very, I think for a long time, most people, which you and I have not, I'm talking about people in a generation before us who are in leadership, in business, and in entrepreneurs who had big teams, they thought about this completely different. Mm -hmm. I really feel like the millennial category of people like you and I who are now in those positions are thinking about this completely different than yeah, I agree. the madmen we talked about, you know, on, the on last both episode. sides, the, yeah. the ones who are doing the hiring and the ones who are taking the job, right? Yeah. Loyalty was much more prized. You, yes, you, you right. went to work for a career and you spent 30 or 40 years at the same company, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's just a different world. And one of those reasons, of course, would also be because they would provide you with a loyalty and a pension or right. something like right, that. Right. So there was different goals to reach for, which right. don't exist today right. in most cases. So we don't have to get into the politics around all that. But, I, yeah, I think it's a completely different thing. So I've got a story about someone I had to fire uh, in that sports environment territory. And this was, like you said, very painful. And what made it even worse, this person needed to be let go. And in my environment, what I was able to do in this part-time work environment was to just take them off the schedule. Mm -hmm. So it was nothing necessarily documented about firing. It was right. just, look, we're halfway through our season. Right. Uh, you're going to be replaced for the rest of your all you games. HR professionals, like, cover your ears, right? Right, right. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know yeah. what to do. And right. so since I've moved on from this and right. we're out of the game, the statute of limitations, mm -hmm. a decade or whatever it's been at this point, I feel like I can talk about how <laughs> terrible this was. Because you are exactly right. For about two or three days, I had a terrible pit in my stomach. Because it was a yelling match, actually, when I had to let this person go. Mm -hmm. First off, it was a <laughs> so that was mm -hmm. terrible. Uh, so who knows what I said? Like yeah, I can't. Right. right. I'm assuming that I, uh, of course, J. Do maintained his poison character at all times <laughs> and didn't say anything that HR would be concerned about. But it did rise in volume. Secondarily, Tim, this is what happened so crazy. I kind of alluded to it to you a couple of weeks ago. Is once this person was let go and they disappeared, yelling match was over. Smoke cleared. One or two key people were around that day, yeah. but you know, not in that conversation. They're like, "Man, we're all glad that this person was gone." What happened is I started to get basically harassed by this person's significant other mm. through text message mm. a month later. Mm. Like I thought it was dead yeah. and gone. You know, this whole thing had been put to bed, and at that point, I got HR involved. I was like, "Holy cow!" This is crazy. Are yeah. you getting this message? And maybe it was email. And then I started screenshotting the email. I don't remember. Text, email, yeah. something. But it was from someone who I didn't even. Wasn't even part no, of the situation. No, was not yeah. part of the situation. Yeah. And this person, the, the person, what the issue came up with, because the person who I let go started to apparently told the significant other. And then it was coming back to me. It was all documented at this yeah. point. 
that the reasons for her yeah. being let go yeah. were completely different than what everything yeah. was really about. So now it was like, oh no, it was like he said, she said, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which got which ended up a very bad two days. So I got two questions for yeah. you from this. Number one, um, what did the rest of your team say? Do you think feel after this person was gone? Oh, oh, it was it was night and day. As I told you, there was actually potential violent situations going on. Yeah. This person had to go. Yeah, right. So everyone felt safe. Right. Everybody felt thing. safe, but yeah. I'm guessing they had more creativity, more energy, oh, more 100%. engagement. We like, couldn't, everything we couldn't better, work. Right? Yeah, yeah, we couldn't work. There, right. Like I said, there was actual violence. So the second question is, what, if you go back today, what would you do differently? If, right. oh, so here's number one. What I learned from HR at the time is you need to document Absolutely. when things are not up to the standard of the job. Right. So this person's late or this person was potentially in an altercation with someone, yeah, yeah. there was an issue, you have to you have to write that up. Right. So it needs to be documented. Right. That was the first thing. Because I didn't know. I'd yeah. never been through any protocols and even understand how to do this. Um, and then secondly, if this person violated those things, had been warned or whatever, it you bring in that third party HR or whatever, yeah. then you um, actually uh, terminate, terminate their right. job as opposed to just yeah. don't Go schedule them. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. right. So we're not HR consultants and that's not the point of this interview right. or this, this podcast, but I would say if you've got an HR department, then obviously involve them, use them. And if you don't, <laughs> if you're an entrepreneur, like there are all kinds of HR consultants that will very inexpensively walk you through um, so I always get involved. I, I haven't always, but now if I've got to let somebody go, I've got an HR consultant that I use and she comes in and and makes sure that all of my ducks in a row because I don't want to be harassed later. I don't oh, want to be sued right. and, and I want to do things the right way. But but I still put my own stamp on it. I don't just like, okay, there's here's the first write-up, here's the second one. Like I, I want to treat people as human beings. I want to help them maintain their dignity and help them find where they're ultimately going to be well, successful. Well, that's if you don't feel that you're going to be beat down, Tim. See, yeah, right. We were, right. That's a whole nother. How many of your people have tried to fight you? Well, yeah, I haven't had many experiences okay, okay, like that. Okay, okay, very good. Well, uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah, complete relief after that, and um, it was dealt with by HR at that point. So it got removed from my responsibility yeah. to deal with what had happened, and uh, ultimately there was another, one or two trickle-down effects with other people in the office that was very sad because of the involvement in the he said, she said, yeah. and HR didn't want to have to deal with it, so we're going to let this person go as well. This person yeah. is censured. You can't do this anymore. Now yeah. JD's got paperwork, which I hate, you yeah, know, all yeah, this yeah. type of stuff. But So two big takeaways from this. One is if you know somebody's got to go, let them go. Right? Don't drag it out. Do it in a kind way. Help set them up for success. But it's not kind to your team. It's not kind to you, not kind to your organization, not kind to them to drag it out. So let them go. And the second way, this the second takeaway is do it the right way, right? Do it so that you're not going to get sued. Do it so that um, you're not going to get harassed, right? And and right. hire a, hire an HR consultant or get your head of HR involved or whatever, depending on your organization. All right. So next point, you had I believe about four or five points we were going through today: growing your team, retaining your team, building yeah. your team. What's I, next? Well, so so one thing that a lot of entrepreneurs go through, and even people that have established businesses, is there seems to be a vacuum of leadership, right? Mm -hmm. We grow, and if we're the entrepreneur or the business owner or the CEO or whatever your role is, if you're in leadership, you probably have a lot of natural leadership, right? Maybe it's been developed. Yeah. Probably a lot of it has, whether through you know your DNA or because of the experience you've had or whatever, you've got natural leadership. But then the people that you hire, especially early on, don't have a lot of natural leadership. And so people are like, how do I develop this? Can it be taught? Right. Right. And and I would say if you're going to succeed and you're going to grow, you've got to have other leaders besides you. 
And there's only two, way to, two ways to get that. Either one is you hire people that already know how to lead and have a proven track record, or two, you've got to develop your existing people, and and probably there's going to be some combination there. Of course. So, right. Because they have to fit into your vision, right? Leaders, good leaders don't create a bunch of followers. They create more leaders. That's right. Right? Um, and if you can teach people to teach, then you can go to the beach, right? So <laughs> There right? you go. There, there's there that go. adage as well. So, yeah. Um, so, Give us some thoughts on this. How do we do this? What are some of the things that you can and our listeners can obviously check on in their organizations now or develop because they're not doing it? So leadership development is one of my favorite things, and I can talk for a long time, but I'm going to try to hit a couple of bullet points. Um, number one is you've got to give people permission to screw up. So a lot of entrepreneurs don't do that, right? right. They okay. get mad. They blow yeah. up. They, they chastise people for screwing up. And and if you do that, all of your people are afraid of you and they're afraid to make decisions. They're afraid to take responsibility for anything because they're going to get their wrist slapped, right? Right. So I've, I've said this before on a podcast, but I tell all of my people, look, I want you to create a, a bias for action. I want you to, I want you, if, if you're on the fence, like, I don't know if I should make this decision, make the decision. Okay. I, I, yeah. And I'm always going to applaud you for making a decision. I, I promise my whole team, I'm never going to, I'm never going to chastise you for making decisions. Now, was that hard for you, or did yeah. you have to develop that? Oh, yeah, oh, for okay, sure. Gotcha. For sure. Yeah. But now I have three rules that I give to everybody. Okay. All right, so ask three questions, right, before you make a decision. Number one, do I have enough information? Okay, pretty easy. Like, if I'm making a big decision to buy this big product or right. service or sign a lease on a building or whatever, um, if I've only considered one option and it's a big expense, then I probably don't have enough information. If right. I really don't understand what I'm doing, right, so but right. do I have enough information? Number two is is the risks acceptably low, right? There's a difference between a $5,000 decision and a $50 decision, yep. um, or whatever level of your organization and leadership, a $5 million decision, a $500,000, but is the risks acceptably low? Um, so do I have enough information? Is the risk low enough? And number three, do I feel reasonably confident about this decision? If the answer to those three is yes, make the decision. Okay. And my promise is, even if you screw up royally, We'll talk about it. We'll we'll talk about how to make a better decision right. next time. Yeah. But I'm going to applaud the fact that you, that you did not have decision. reasonable, uh, yeah, sure. whatever. But you felt why you did and whatever. So we talked through that. But okay. But yeah. I, but and you but felt that, that, that I'm, I'm really going to say, hey, thanks for making the decision. Okay. I'm glad because I don't want to be the bottleneck. I don't want the whole organization's decisions flowing through me or through our senior leadership team. We'll never get anywhere. We'll, yeah. we, we're going to take forever to make decisions. So I want you to make decisions. And if you screw up, let's talk about why it went wrong, and how you're going to make a better decision next time. But I want you to make the decision. That's going to unlock just that decision. Yeah, okay. And then that communication is going to unlock some some leadership that people will actually stick their neck out a little bit and make some decisions. And they'll get things wrong, but the next time they'll get it, they'll do better, and the next time they'll do better. And before you know it, you got a whole company full of okay. leaders that are and actually And you feel decisions. that that has been the progression yeah. of your team members and your business acumen with Everyone on board. Yeah. Love to hear it. Yeah. The next thing I think is is creating a culture where growth is the expectation, mm-hmm. not the norm, right? So we, we do a lot to celebrate growth. We do a lot to encourage growth, uh, recognize growth. And, you know, you'll often hear me saying things like, you know, I love working with you guys, you know, maybe to a whole team meeting. You'll hear me say something like, I, I, I love working in a group that, all assumes the, the the expectation is that we're all growing and to a person i can look at you i could go right down the line and and name each one of you and talk about how you have grown. like i can see it you are a better person both mm-hmm. personally and professionally than you were say a year ago and 
And I'm celebrating that and creating the expectation that we're all growing. And that's not contrived or manipulative. Like, it's true. I can really see that growth. And one of the ways that we do that is through a weekly professional development series. I've done this with multiple teams. And basically, once a week, we get together as an entire company and we talk about some way that we're going to get better. Right. So this morning we talked about um, problem solving. I literally led a team of, I don't know, 15 or 20 people in the one company that I work with, and I, I had them do a little exercise. Okay. I say, I want you to think about what is frustrating you, chronic frustration. Like you are repeatedly frustrated or irritated or slowed down or annoyed by this thing. Hmm. Could be personal or professional. Okay. Um, and, and I gave him a few minutes to think about that and write down some things, right? So maybe you're annoyed because you always lose your car keys. Simple little thing. You're annoyed because you're, you're, you're um, constantly forgetting where to find information. Like, I, I know I took down notes, but did I put it in Evernote? Did I write it on a scrap of paper? Did yep. I talk to my phone? Where, okay. where is this? Okay, I'll, what is frustrating to you? And then, then we talked about what are some possible approaches to solve and pick one of those. What are some possible approaches? And then commit to a first action. It, there, there are so many problems that we adopt for years like we we accept for years because we think they're unsolvable. We haven't really, tr- but when you actually analyze the problem and you apply maybe a little research, a little creative problem solving, yeah. almost every problem is solvable. And the energy that it frees up to actually solve that problem, the creativity, the time right. that you get back, is just amazing. So anyway, I'm I'm chasing rabbits now, but the point is, we talked about problem solving this morning. And a number of people in that room actually solved some problems in that room that had been vexing them. <laughs> right, right. And, and more, I'm sure, will continue yeah, to solve right. problems. Their lives are going to get better. But the point is that all of us were growing in the same way. Yes. And they're lear- you're teaching them, and they're learning how to grow. Yeah. They can repeat that process next week with a new frustration, next year with a new idea. Yeah. And go, let me go back to that. Because there are new things. I think that's one thing that you're not hitting on about what you bring to the table when you're chatting with people, or I haven't heard from you, is they're learning how to grow yeah. when you develop a series and an exercise like that. Take a minute, take a breath, yep. write it down, make it plain. They're learning how to grow. Yeah, you got it. So part of that is leadership development. This one, I mean, solving problems is a, is part of leadership, right? It's not expressly like, okay, if you want to be a leader, come to come to this meeting series, right? right, right Everybody's invited. Everybody's expected to be there. But a lot of it, it's how to make better decisions. It's how to provide great customer experience. It's the difference between efficiency and effectiveness. It's how, all kinds of stuff. And all of that is developing people. And people who are growing and developing naturally grow in their leadership and their ability to lead other people. And, and it's almost like a... Uh, you worked in baseball, right? What do you call it? A farm team or whatever, yeah. right? The minor leagues yeah. are a feeder for It's like I've got a whole company of future leaders that are growing and developing that when the time is right, they're going to step into right. these official right. leadership capacities. So I think that it's really important to develop leaders. It's also sometimes important to hire leaders that already know how. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll rest my case on leadership okay. development. Very good. Well, I love it. Okay, so their next point here, I think this one has a little bit to do with engagement yeah, I, I think that as you grow your team, both numerically, in depth, and skill, and effectiveness, right. um, there are so many companies where people just show up, they put their head down, they put in their 40 hours or 50 or 60 hours or whatever it is, and they go home, but they're not really engaged. Mm-hmm. They're like trying to stay out of trouble, and they're trying, but they're not really. In, and I think if you have a team that is aligned and engaged, they're motivated, 
man, you're going to blow away any competition out there. Right. They become net detractors potentially because they're just bodies filling seats. You have to check up on them and things like that. And it's partially because one of the issues I think you deal with a lot with the teams that you coach is uh, they don't know what the goals are. They don't know how they fit into the goals. They don't know if anyone cares about their work specifically. or They're kind of lost. They put their head down because they've got their own world and it's not connected to the rest of the team. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that um, last episode, that part yep. one of this of this show about how publishing, announcing here are the three to five strategic objectives for this company, and here are the KPIs, the the key performance indicators that we're going to use to see if we're making progress. Right? Here's the goal, and here are several KPIs. So you know, number of tickets per client, number of issues that are active, for example, right. your your customer satisfaction scores time to resolution on a particular, all kinds of different metrics that you might use to see, are we actually progressing? So that's part of engagement. I think some of it is just providing feedback to your people. Like if if you're just these little islands and you are, um, you know, you, you think you're doing a good job, but you never actually hear, am I doing a good job? Am I doing what you expect me to do? Right, right. It, it's easier just to disengage. But if you're like, you're getting constant feedback, both positive and negative. Yeah. That's a big deal. So performance reviews are are the classic way to do that, but yeah. I think there's a there's a better, faster way. But you you got do, you, yes. you've engaged some people. Before. I have. Well, here's the thing that I felt that when I brought this up, you'd know all about this, but that reminded me of the four disciplines of execution. Yeah, detail. Yeah. So we've got um, a Covey book, not the Covey, but the other Covey, uh-huh. and there are several different authors on this. But I was surprised. Everybody out there, write it down. That I knew about this, and several of you who are listening definitely know what this is, but Tim seemed a little <laughs> bit unfamiliar. So the four disciplines of execution is how to get to, from where you are to where you want to go and take your team with you, basically. Yeah. I'm obviously paraphrasing. Yeah. And those four disciplines are focus on the wildly important. So you mentioned those maybe three to five corporate goals for the year. Okay. It's even understanding what they are. And, of course, there are a lot of ways, and I know you uncover how to figure out what they are. What is it that we're doing here? What is our mission and vision for the year or the set amount of time? Number two, act on the lead measure. So I have a question for you. You've heard about the lead measures and the lag measures. Okay, so that's where this is coming from. The four disciplines of execution. So act on the lead measure. So many of us look at what we want as the end goal and we're trying to get to the end goal and hit the end goal or we're trying to measure the end goal but you're actually trying to figure out what are the strategic things that I can actually do today yeah. and then make a strategic bet on those things will get us to the lag measure. So how much money you've made, how much revenue, how much net income, gross income, those are lag, lag measures. Right. It's what you have to do to try to get there. And, of course, that takes trial and error in right. business, and sometimes those things change. Right. We're trying to hit X to Y by when, yeah. and we've got to figure out, well, what do we do? mostly from week to week, which is another thing that I think you talk about. So let's make that super practical in case you're not familiar with the lead lag thing, right? Uh, uh, Most of us have goals like I want to create $100,000 a month in revenue or a million dollars or whatever, right? Right. Um, But you can't just like act on that. You can't just wave a magic wand and make a million dollars a month. Unless you just send that invoice and someone pays it. Yeah, right. right? That's the only thing. But you still have a lead measure and send the invoice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the lead measure, if if you're in the service business and you know that your close rate is, let's just make stuff up, your average proposal is $100,000, well then you got to have 10 proposals accepted in order to make a million dollars. And, and if your average proposal is 100,000 and you close 50% of your proposals, then you've got to send 20 proposals a month. 
Well, in order to send a proposal, you've got to have a sales meeting. And maybe you only get at-bats, you know, you, you get 50% opportunity there. So now i got to have 40 sales meetings. And lo and behold, my leading measure is, do I get 40 appointments a month? If I get 40 appointments, maybe I'm going to get my million dollars or right. whatever, exactly. right? So, exactly. So your leading measure that you've really got to pay attention to is how many appointments am I getting? Yes, okay. right. right. And that's something that you can do and you can act on making sure you do the calls to get those appointments yeah. because other people have to accept them or other people have to come on board or other people have to look at your proposals. Yeah, so it's the things that you do. Love right, so, so focus the on the wildly two. important. Yep. Focus. Act on the lead measures, not leverage. Lag. Okay. That's leverage. So yeah, they, okay. they've okay. deemed that one the hashtag. There's leverage. Okay. Yep, you yep. got it. The next one, keep a compelling scoreboard. Now that yeah. pushes us toward the specifics on your team. Okay. How we communicate this to the team. The last two have to do with that team engagement. Okay. And uh, because your team may not help you focus on the wildly important, you may identify that with your other leadership partners or things like that, but your team may not be as involved there, right? Act on the lead measures. Once again, depending on your organization or your type of business, you may be telling the employees now what you yep. should be doing. Yep. Hey, make 100 calls to try to get us 40 meetings or something like that. But now keep a compelling scoreboard. This is talking about the engagement of the team. How do we know we're getting anywhere? Do we understand from week to week what we spent 40 hours plus doing last week? Did it even push us toward yeah. what we're trying to hit? Do we know? Yeah. Do the people who don't work in this room but work in the other room know? Do we even understand? Do the people who work on the other shift know what we did? And so we need a scoreboard, yeah. and it needs to be compelling. One of the key analogies that they say inside the School of Thought and Book and the whole course you can get certified in is that the scoreboard at a football game only shows three or four things. Yeah. Now the coaches have lots and lots and yeah. lots of performance components. They yeah. know lots and lots of things. And of course the announcers on yep. NBC tell us yeah. lots and lots and lots of things. Yeah. But the scoreboard is with one glance compelling yeah. anyone can look and basically see how many yards to go, yep. what the score is, and yep. how much time's left. Yep. And that's what I need to know in an instant. Yeah. And what would it be like to you, you watch a football game on TV and the score is always at the bottom, right? Yeah, right. What would it be like to watch a game with no scoreboard? And they say that, too. There's a complete difference. They say, um, I believe it's in the book, that if you have a wa watch a bunch of teenagers play basketball. Yeah. Drive by. We've all seen yeah, it yeah. playing at school, playing on the court in the, in the park. And the moment someone says, all right, let's now keep score, uh -huh. the game changes. Yeah, it does. Everything changes as soon as it's we're playing to 21. When everyone's warming up, going around. Yeah, so when everyone knows where you are. Yeah. Then the game changes for the players, yeah. the team, the engagement changes, yeah. right? Because I think that's that so huge. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us run companies with no scoreboards. Correct. Yeah. And you wonder why your employees are not engaged. Or you, and here's another thing. I've tried it. Now, you've got to be careful. I've mentioned this once or twice. Tim doesn't bring up the family aspect, but I've tried to run the scoreboard or at least the compelling argument for the wildly important goals in the house. Sometimes it works better than yeah. others. But you can obviously use these things and translate them to other parts of your life. Yeah. It's the same thing about, let's say you want to lose weight. Something easy. Yeah. Normally, the lag measure is your actual weight. Yep. Right? Everybody says, man, I'm trying yep. to get to 150 pounds. Yep. Whatever it is. Yep. Well, maybe you and I, 150. A lot of people out there are a little bigger than <laughs> yeah, us, right. I think. Okay, so whatever that goal is. 143 this morning. 143. Okay, very good. Morning, yeah, 157 last okay. week. Okay. <laughs> Lead, uh, I mean, X to Y by when. You know, by Christmas, I'm trying to weigh X. Yeah. That type of thing. So I know I have to lose 20 pounds. But the lead measures on that, normally everyone agrees on, the lead measures on that are actually eat yep. less, yep. exercise more. Yep. Those are the things you track. Yep. And then you just look to see if those things 
brought you down in weight, yep. in most cases, they will. That's what you actually do. So I got to tell you a story about okay. this. I didn't plan to tell this, but right. so my business coach, I talk a lot about my business coach, right? I've, I've had several business coaches. All have been phenomenally valuable to me. Um, one of them ran a contest about six or seven years ago, and it was uh, it was almost a year. They wanted to end it before Christmas, so it was like 11 months or something. And we had seven things to do every day. And all there right. was a spreadsheet we had to report on every single day, all seven of these things. All right. One was um, no sugary drinks. Meant no sugar in your coffee, no soda, no tea, right, or whatever. No okay. sugary drinks. Um, and, and basically, if you went all day without a sugary drink, you got a point. Okay. Right? You zero or one. Um, so you were allowed to lose, first off. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, you you're could, allowed to lose. Sure, okay, sure, but you got you points could. when you... Okay, got right. it. <laughs> you, number two was you had to drink half your body weight in ounces in water. Right. Right? Yeah, so at the time, that. that worked out for me to be 75 ounces or something like that, right, right? of water, which is a lot of water for, for sure, me at least. Sure. Um, but if you did that, you got a point, right? You had to weigh yourself every day and record your weight. You didn't have to change your weight, but you had to weigh every single day and okay. record your weight and okay. report that. Um, so that's part of the scoreboard, right? You were right. seeing whether it was going up or down. No dessert. You went all day without dessert that, that, or anything, anything that would be a sweet Sugary snack snacks. kind of a thing, right? right? Um, you had to walk 10,000 steps a day. So right. gave, everybody got a pedometer. This was before um, yeah, you know, yeah. Apple kept track. I or remember. Yeah. You had a pedometer. And um, I, don't, I don't remember. There were seven things that we had to do. Okay. Um, at the end of 11 months. Um, two, Are you seeing everyone else's? Or no, just yours? just yours. Okay, but just you... Yours. Okay, now, that would have been interesting. Okay, I think, but yeah, I think but you're we seeing your own scoreboard. You see your okay, own scoreboard, yeah. Right, okay. So there was... Don't quote me on the particulars. I can't remember. But I think there was a total of like 4,000 possible points. Okay. Something like uh, that. Okay, yeah. So at the end... But the, this is a bunch of highly competitive entrepreneurs. Yeah, sure. Right? Okay. Okay. And, now, was there a... Prize. Yes, there okay, was. Okay, so that's part of that's it, part of compelling scoreboard. It, the, Do, the how prize, do we know if we're winning? The prize was yeah, okay. was a week in Europe, all expenses paid. Got it. So it's okay. a pretty big prize, okay. right? Very important to remember that everybody. There was a reason that we were doing this. So at okay. the end of eleven months of this, <laughs> all right, right? No desserts, no sugary drinks, all this stuff. There were three no fun, no <laughs> smiles, there were, no, there <laughs> no happiness. Was, there were three people tied for first place. Same amount of points? Same exact, exact amount of points. Amount and of points. guess how many points those three people missed out of about 4,000 possible points? My guess is none. Three. Three. Really? Three. 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 Wow. They, we... All three of us, including oh, yours, you, truly, yeah, yeah. I was one of them. Um, we had missed three points each. One of mine was I was traveling and there was the there, there were the lots steps. of nights. No, that was hard. Uh, steps were always hard, but I always yeah, got them. Yeah. Okay. I, I got gotcha. steps every single day. Um, but you had to weigh yourself. Oh, okay. You know how hard it is to find a scale oh, you when you're traveling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There were times when I would be like going from one like you're one spending time on the beach. spending an hour trying to find scales. I, I would go <laughs> up and down the beach to yeah. all these hotels and try to get in their fitness room to yeah. see if they had a scale so yeah. I could weigh myself. Right. right? It'd be two o'clock in the morning and I'm like knocking on the door. Will you let me in and weigh myself? Yeah. One time, I, w- I had to go to a twenty-four-hour Walmart in the middle of the night to find a, a scale yes. that I could still in take the package. Yeah, just, exactly. <laughs> just standing there. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway, um, but the point is that we had to report that every right. single day, and we had our own personal scoreboard. And watching your weight, I lost quite a bit of weight did that you? year, and almost everybody on the program did. Yeah. 
but it was all those leading measures of drinking enough water, not right. having sugar, because whatever. Because you personally, I'm assuming, maybe, I don't know the yeah. context, you didn't have a goal to lose weight right. that year. Right. But if you do the lead measures, the lag is that's inevitable. Right. That's right. And that's the whole point of 40X right. is like, well, if we do the leads and they're predictive of the lag, then it's it. inevitable eventually. You got it. All right, I took over your show. No, I'm Four good. disciplines of execution. Focus on the wildly important. Focus. Leverage these lead measures. Leverage. Um, number three, keep a compelling scoreboard, which I love. And what's which number is engagement. Four? That yeah, one's engagement, engagement yeah. for your team. And the second one is also how the team is involved. And it's create a cadence of accountability. Mm. So that's what you're talking about in terms of, uh, I'm assuming, with uh, in normal circumstances, the cadence of accountability, which 40X has a model that some of the people listening know, it's how you run the meeting, potentially weekly, on did we make yeah. progress? Yeah. Did we actually uh, finish the lead measures because you have responsibility? Mm-hmm. So your responsibility moves us toward these things, and here's your lead measures and whatever. Did you? Yeah. And your you report on it. You yeah. report on it. Yes, I committed to the team X. Here's what I did, and that is going to be predictive of everything else. Yeah. So that reminds me of like five dysfunctions of a team, right? There's several things in here that yep. ring yeah. a bell. There, and so but. it's also what's interesting about that in terms of the engagement and this cadence of uh, the cadence of accountability, which they call a certain type of meeting that lasts 20 minutes in most yep. cases, depending on how your team works, um, is how it's so quick. And it's easy to see that we're going to hit the things. Meanwhile, what they call the whirlwind is what's going to happen between the meetings. And the whirlwind is really 80% of your time. It's everything else that's going to happen. Inevitably, you're going to get 42 phone calls. They don't have anything to do with this stuff. You're going to have to, you're going to be late. You're going to be early. These things pop up. You don't under, you know, but at least we know what we're actually here to do. And no matter what, I got to hit these three things I'm supposed to do this week. Meanwhile, as soon as I step out of this room, everything else hits the fan. Yeah, Yeah. Uh that's so interesting. All right, so 4DX, four disciplines of execution. Indeed. Covey, which Covey? I believe it is Sean. Sean Covey. Yes, okay. okay. So, so I've I, I've got some notes. I'm yep. gonna have to go get a book. Oh, that it's sounds, so good. All right, good. I'll I'll yeah. check it out. All right, we got two more real quick things that we can hit, and we'll yeah. wrap this up. Number four, as your organization grows, I've found that you've got to shift from hiring generalists to specialists. Mm-hmm. This sounds really obvious. Maybe it's obvious to everybody else, but for me, it took me a long time to figure this out. So I'll share it in hopes that it's helpful to you. In the beginning, when I had you know two, three, five people, let's say five, you've got five people that are doing 25 things, right? Right. They all are wearing a lot of hats, and so you've got to find a certain kind of person that is multi-talented, right? But when you've got 25 people, you don't want 25 people doing all doing a bunch of stuff. You want to have 25 people each doing one thing or two things or three things, but but not 25 things, right? Because you want that narrow skill set that has deep expertise who is an, at, you want a rock star at this role and another rock star at a different role. Right. There's no such thing as a superhero that just is good at everything, right? And so my hiring practices had to change a lot because I was, I like got good at identifying generalists that were multi-talented that could right. switch Right. And it was almost like the people who I needed to grow that were specialists were getting filtered out by kind of my assumptions about, well, you know, you need to be well-rounded and you need, and actually I wanted some people that were not especially well-rounded that, that had some specialized expertise. So as your company matures and grows, you've got to get increasingly narrow with your mm-hmm. roles and have a team of experts where two plus two plus two equals not six, but 60, right? Right. Love it. All right. Number four. This is a story I learned from my friend, Eric. Um, So 
super successful guy. He owns a bunch of top golfs all over the world. He is the developer behind a bunch of big, you know, office skyscrapers here in our area. Um, he's a wealth manager. He's got really wealthy people that give him money to invest for him. He's involved in the making of movies. He, he does all kinds of stuff, and he's got lots of money. Um, we have a mutual friend that got married a little while back, a few years ago, and he invited me to fly to this wedding in Wisconsin on his private jet. Love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I call him my friend. I mean, I I think of him as my friend. It's not like we're buddies. He but, doesn't think but, on his podcast, yeah, right? he doesn't call Tim yeah, right. his friend. Tim called, yes. Yeah, that's right. That's how this works. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, but he invited me to go uh, on his private jet to this mutual friend's wedding. And I was, absolutely, right? So I canceled my, you know, American Airlines flight or whatever. And I show up at the airport and yeah. we walk right up to his plane. It's all fueled up and the engines are running and we walk on board and he's got two pilots in the front right. and off we go fly direct to this little tiny airport that's like right next to the wedding venue and we land and there's a car that's got the engine running and the door open and we get in the car. I mean, it was a fantastic experience, but the best part was not the flight and the car and all that, which is cool. Um, it's that I had, you know, for four or five hours, I had this captive audience of this really successful guy that I could pick his brain. And so I asked him all kinds of questions. One of my favorite questions to ask people that are really successful, especially ones that are older than me is I'll say something like this, Eric, what do you know today? What have you learned recently that you wish you knew at my age? Mm-hmm. Good question. Right I there. love that question. I yep. always get interesting things. He didn't miss a beat. He said, I would hire differently. I said, all right, well, interesting. Tell me more. He says, I used to hire good people. Okay. Good people. People that I knew. Yep. People with character and integrity that I could trust. That were they're good people. He said, but they weren't necessarily great leaders. They weren't necessarily the best of the best in terms of their skill set. They were good people. And he said over time, as they you know, quit or resigned or retired or whatever, he started replacing them with great people. Okay. And he paid 15 or 20% over market so he could get the best and they would never want to go anywhere else because they could never go anywhere else and make the same amount of money. He said over the last four years or so, I've completely turned over my team mm-hmm. and I've got great people. And he says, we are so much more successful, making so much more money. I've never looked back. And I said, wow, that's really a great story. But I got to ask you, when you started paying 15% over market, did you have the money to do that? Because I can't afford to do that. Sure, right. Right? A lot of people are thinking that. And he says, nope, I ran a deficit. He said, I went in the red, I don't remember, a year or two. I don't remember how long it took. Yeah. But he said it was worth it. He had cash reserves and he could do it. He says, but within a couple of years... We had blown past all of our previous records. We were making more money, having more fun, much bigger business, much more successful. And and I wasn't having to work as hard because I had all these rock stars that were doing their thing and growing and leading the company, making good decisions. And he said, I've never looked back, and I wish I would have done that sooner. Now, do you think that he got coached into that idea? Do you remember if he told you, like, he decided one day I'm just sick of, I don't want to have to do this person's work, so I'm going to hire someone better? That's a good question. I don't know. I didn't ask him that. Um, I just know that he said from experience that he wished he would have hired great people, even if he had to pay more for Mm -hmm. them. And so I've started doing that. The last several people that I've hired, I think, especially in leadership roles, I have paid more than I've ever paid before, and I have gotten really great experienced people in most cases they're a lot older than me hopefully they're wiser and more talented than i am and man 
it's it's making so here's my next question do you think that that though is a natural progression to start with good people then move to great i do because 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 number one you don't have the money when you first start or you first have an idea maybe you don't know how to hire great people or attract them right well not only do you not have the money but you also don't have the credibility right the expertise the vision like great people don't want to come work for this inexperienced bumbling idiot right and most of us are kind of bumbling idiots when we start out oh yeah like at least i was so i had to develop myself and develop my brand and develop you know reputation and get more customers and and be able i had to have sort of a critical mass where i could attract right and that's all i was wondering about that yeah Yeah, which is which which is fair you gotta walk before you run for sure but his point was don't delay that transition Mm -hmm. like get there as fast as you can well it's good to know that yeah you should be looking for that my one last story around that idea is i had a partnership in a corporate environment once again in the uh, sports entertainment world and one thing that we did to really hone in on the experts and finding the great people and also producing our great product one thing that we did that i think some of our listeners can can really focus on and maybe you've done it and you've got stories is we started having in this environment we could have postmortems mm-hmm. you yeah. literally had a baseball yep. game 5000 yep. people came to see it and left and we started spending that extra 10% of time after the game immediately I'm hot and sweaty if you know me I'm mm-hmm. actually emceeing now yeah. this guy's up in the booth he's yeah. literally like this overseeing yeah. literally what's going on cameras and replay and lights and PA mm-hmm. and music we started going line by line in our production schedule after the game piece by piece and realizing did we it's that performance review of ourselves of ourselves and what our team would doing and we would go and in a baseball game production that we were putting on i would say basically there's about a hundred elements we'd go piece by piece and four hours of work yeah and we started to identify oh when for instance i say this on the mic that should always be the cue for that guy to hit that button for the music yeah and if we do it like that that's going to work better because i started to say Hey DJ, play the music, and he had already started playing yeah. it, and I couldn't hear it. And then this person's in my ear, and then yeah. the camera four wasn't ready, and we started doing it like that. And then everyone knew the role, yeah. knew how to get to where we needed to go. We knew how to pull off a great product because we actually spent the extra time to review it. Nobody told us we had to do that, but we felt a compelling mission and vision to put on a great product. So I was working with the right guy. Yeah. But we started to do that, changed everything, and then we knew why. We were doing everything yeah. after that. We always knew why we do it this way. Postmortem, after action report, different people call them different things. But I love that idea of reviewing and making incremental improvement. I was just talking a few hours ago to a guy about the English cycling team. This was back, I don't know, a decade ago or something like that. They basically never won any races. They weren't any good. And um, evidently, they got a new coach mm. that said, everything matters, and we want to get 1% better at everything. So they looked at the color of the paint in their workout room. They looked at the cleanliness of their environment. They looked at their uniforms and they looked at, and they just, they said, everything matters and we're going to do everything 1% better and then another 1% better. And they started winning. Um, And it it, it was an interesting book. I think the book, I hope I get this right. I think it's uh, Measure What Matters. Okay. was telling the story. Yeah. But anyway, that idea of reviewing and making incremental improvement. Uh, well, I love we, it. Yeah, and, we had bullet points. We knew what they were. We just would go, man, that didn't work right. And that's that the kind of environments yeah. where your rock stars want to be because they want to get better. They want to yes. be at the top of their game. They want to do excellent work, and they want to be surrounded by other people who have that same drive and passion. And Tim, and, that's a really great point. I used to tell all the folks who worked with us in baseball, especially the folks that was the field team downstairs, mm-hmm. my buddy was upstairs, was if we are doing it right and doing it well, 
then we'll have fun. Because yeah. in that environment, you think it's about fun first. Yeah. I said, it's only going to be fun if we are doing it perfectly. Yeah. And we can do it perfectly up to our standards yeah. perfectly. If we do it well, we'll have fun. Yeah. And they'll have fun. So I let's like look at that. So I like it. I think those are the words for today, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe if you're perfect, you can have fun too with your team. But that was part two of our Grow With Tim series here on engaging and growing your team. Look for us on another episode soon. We look forward to your comments, likes, and shares, and, of course, subscribe. We'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.